We're Missio Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. So it was two days before Christmas, and it was the finals for the Moon Valley Wrestling Invitational. They turn all the lights off except for one giant spotlight in the center of the gym, right over the mat where the two finalists compete against each other for first place. And then there started to be a sound of confusion coming up from the stands. And as we started to lean in and listen, we started to hear it was someone calling out, Medic! We need a medic up here. Took a while to translate what was going on through all the other sounds of the gym, right? All, all the cheering and the chanting, the, the sound of the ref, referee's whistle blowing, the sound of coaches yelling at their wrestlers. But we finally heard it. We need a medic. One of the coaches went over and finally flipped on the lights so that we could see what was going on. And there was somebody up in the stands who was completely passed out, unresponsive. There's a couple stories of what happened, and I'm not going to share uh, them with you because I don't want to speculate, uh, but this person needed medical attention. And so what we did was obviously call 911, and then we had to create a pathway for them to get to this person all the way up at the top of the bleachers. And so we had to start moving people and getting them out of the way, and we created a barrier between our, our wrestlers and our coaches and our trainers and the referees, a line of people who blocked a clear entryway all the way from the door of the gymnasium through the gym up the bleachers to where this person was lying. And they were able to come in, get him, take him away on a stretcher. I don't have, unfortunately, the rest of that story. I don't know what happened to this person. And so I hate to leave it on that somber note, but it is a perfect picture of what we're seeing here with John. There's a voice crying out in, in the darkness, a voice crying out in the wilderness. And that voice may not be heard right away. And when it is, it's confusing and it's a little bit disorienting because you have a lot of other noise going on around you. The event is happening. The, the program is going on and it's taking place. And when you finally hear that faint voice crying off in the distance, you lean in and go, what, what are they saying? What is this? And for some people, hearing John's voice, they respond and they flip on the lights and they see more clearly. And for other people, like some who are at the gym that night, who let out boos and moans because we turned the lights on and stopped the event... Some people find a discomfort in that disorientation and they want to silence it. And that's what we see happening here at the Jordan River with John. There's different responses coming through. And John's voice is disorienting, like make no mistake of it. We sometimes read things in the Bible and we go, that's really weird, but we have to remind ourselves it's a different culture, different time, different place, and it wasn't so weird for them then. But make no mistake, John was weird then too. This was a weird dude, okay? Uh, and, and he shows up and he's dressed in weird clothing. Camel's hair, which I've never worn, but I, everything I've read is really, really itchy. It's not comfortable. 
They had better ways of making clothing at this point in history. And he's eating bugs, right? And, and wild honey that he could find out in the wilderness. Like, what is going on with this guy? Imagine being one of those people who went out to see John and to listen to his message and to go be baptized in the Jordan River by him. And then you show up to regular life after that throughout the week. And people are like, oh, what, what, what'd you do this weekend? Oh, you went out and bathed with the crazy homeless dude in the river? Interesting. Like this was weird for them too in their culture. And yet John wasn't crazy. He was very intentional with what he was doing. The clothes that John wore actually remind us of what a prophet long ago named Elijah would have worn. And if you remember anything about Elijah, if you know any of his story, uh, he also wore these crazy clothes and he ate the wild food of the land, whatever was available to him. And there's lots of guesses about why they would have done this. Like maybe it was to say, hey, we're not meant to be comfortable in the way that the world's set up right now. These comforts that the world offers, this is not what God has for us. So maybe, maybe there's something there. Uh, but maybe they were calling back to a time when God first had to clothe humans out of the hair and furs of animals. Because when they rebelled against God in the garden, they were filled with shame with their own nakedness. Maybe these prophets were wearing these clothes to remind them of the sin that God's people still carried with them and the need for God to still clothe them in that day as well. I don't know, but I, but I know that we're told later that John, the baptizer, that he came in the spirit of Elijah. And so he's probably very purposely wearing clothing like Elijah and eating a diet like Elijah. And if you remember Elijah, one of the main things that he did was he, he stood up against these prophets of Baal, a false god. These prophets who are getting all of God's people to come and worship another god besides Yahweh, the god of the Israelites. And he called them. He said, listen, if you believe that Baal is God, then bow down and worship him. But if you believe it is Yahweh, come and worship him. What he was saying to Israel is there's no in between. You can't have one foot in and one foot out. You can't live this double life that you've been living where you say, yes, we follow Yahweh and also we make these sacrifices to Baal. And I think that John is continuing in that pattern of Elijah when he's calling people out into the wilderness to be bathed in the Jordan, to repent. What he's doing is he's calling them out of the program that they're in, out of the noise going on around them. And he's saying, come and enter into something new. Now, John's baptizing people, and this was before we do baptism the way we do now, right? Because this was before Jesus showed up and started publicly displaying his ministry, before he died, before he rose again, before he called his disciples to go and baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so oftentimes when, when you see people in the church be baptized now, we say in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And oftentimes people will say something like, buried with the death of Jesus and raised into the newness of life with him as they get dunked under the water and raised from it, right? John wasn't doing that, was he? They didn't even know who Jesus was at this point. 
And so there's, there's scripture in Corinthians that talks about this was a different kind of baptism. There's a moment where people come across, in, in the book of Acts, they come across people who followed John's teachings. But they ask them, have you received the Holy Spirit? And they go, we don't even know that there is a Holy Spirit. And they're like, well, what, bapti- what baptism are you in? John's baptism. Oh, okay, let us tell you. That was good. There's something better now. So there's, there's something different. We'll, we'll talk more about that baptism in a moment. But what this was, what this invitation was, this calling of John, was not to be immersed in to the identity of Jesus yet. Remember, we said baptism, that's all that word means, is immersed, you're covered in. What he was calling them to was a cleansing baptism. Like, hey, you are immersed in this other thing and you need to be washed from it. Because John's message was a message of preparation. It was clearing the pathway. It was making it ready. I was thinking about like preparation as, again, this is my last wrestling story, I promise, but we're in the middle of the season. This is what you're getting, okay? Uh, my, my youngest son, Liam, I was attempting to coach for his wrestling team this year, and then their school canceled wrestling for the whole season, and so that was a bummer. So he's been coming with me to this other middle school's team's practices and practicing, but he has no chance to compete. He's not part of that school. And so that's kind of a bummer. Uh, But then we found that there's a middle school state tournament that you can register somebody up for even as an individual. They don't have to be attached to a team. And so we signed him up for it. So now he finally gets his chance to go and compete and do this thing he's been practicing, but it's become real now. Suddenly he's like, dad, am I allowed to eat this? Because I know I have weigh-ins. Like, dad, dad, when are we going to work on this move, right? Like it's become real and now he's seriously thinking about how am I going to prepare for this thing that's coming up? And in a way, that's kind of what's happening here. It's like, hey, God's people, like Elijah had been saying a lot of these same things, right? God has spoken through all kinds of other prophets. God's people knew about following the ways of God for a long time and John's coming and saying, hey, this is getting real. The king's coming. Are you prepared? But in another way, it's like completely different from that. In another way, it's kind of like the repetitive dream I kept having in my early 20s. You guys know that dream you have where you're like, you're not prepared for something, right? I never had the dream where I showed up somewhere in my underwear, but it feels like that. Uh, I, so in real life, not in a dream, first sermon I ever gave was 16 years old at the church that Bethany and I met at. And it was like, four services, a church of 2,000 people. And then I didn't give a sermon again for a long time. And I ran away. I knew then God was calling me to this role of pastoring people and I ran from it for a long time. And so in my 20s, I kept having this recurring dream over and over that Bethany and I went back and visited that church where we met. And when we got there, they said, hey, are you ready? Are you ready to give, to give your sermon? Are you ready to preach? And I was like, I didn't know I was doing that today. And they're like, yeah, no, we've, we've emailed you and we've texted you and we've called you. And, and I was like, I, I'm, wait, what? No, I have no idea what I'm going to say. And this dream happened over and over and over again. And I think God was trying to get my attention. Like, hey, I've called you to this. You keep running from it. And I think that's probably a little more like what's going on here. Is God's people knew exactly what they needed to be prepared for the whole time. And they were running from it. Or maybe they were fooling themselves into thinking that they were living in God's ways, but they actually filled it with a bunch of other junk. And John's here saying, wake up. 
He's crying out, hey, get out of that. Come over here. And so this baptism is kind of like, if you picture yourself bathing in a pool of mud, right? And that might sound really fun at first for some of us, maybe like, you know, it's just free. Get dirty, that's cool. But like, you don't know what's in the mud with you. You don't know what kind of snakes or bugs, right? It stinks. You can't eat food. You got mud all over your hands. Like, you don't want to do that. What do you do to get clean? Honest question. Throw it out there. What do you do to get clean? Water, right? You got you to bathe in clean water. You get the mud off of you. There's a step before that. You got to get out of the mud. If I come and dump a bucket of clean water on you while you're in the pool of mud, it's not going to help. Just like Elijah talking to God's people, worshiping Baal and Yahweh. That's not how this works. You got to get out of that pool of mud first, and then you can bathe in a pool of clean water. So John's baptism was one of preparation to say, hey, get out of that right now because there's a better kingdom that you're about to be called into. There's a better way coming. And that's why he uses this word, which we have translated as repent. Now, I've said this a lot of times. A lot of times we, we say repentance means what? Turn, right? To turn away from one thing is also to turn toward another thing, right? So if I'm standing in between Steve and Julian, as I turn away from Steve, I'm also simultaneously turning toward Julian. What's up, Julian? Good to see you here. That is part of what that means. There's actually two words that get translated as repent in the Bible. In the Old Testament, it's a word, I'm going to butcher it, but it's something pronounced like shiva, literally means to turn. This is the New Testament, so that was Hebrew. This is Greek. This is a different word here. It's metanoia. And that isn't directly translated to turn. It's translated to a change of mind and heart or a change of will. It's like a complete change of your worldview, a complete change of your understanding and what you believe to be true about your existence. And in a sense, yes, that's a turn. I I think we can bring both of those together, right? Because what John was calling people to was to turn away from the systems and the structures and the, the reality of the human empire that they were soaked in. Turn away from that. And he was calling them out of it so that they can be prepared to enter into, to turn toward and enter into this kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, where Jesus reigns as a good king over all things. For us today, we don't necessarily dwell in the empire of Rome, right? We don't don't have a King Herod in the Judean culture. We do have empires around us. We, We do have social systems and structures that affect and influence the way we see things. But maybe for many of us, what we need to hear is a calling to turn away from and get yourself out of your own little kingdom you've built for yourself. To be washed from that in your heart so that you can enter into the kingdom of heaven. And we don't often hear people preach about this word repentance, do we? But listen, that was the very first word that John used in his message. 
Flip over to chapter four and you'll see this too. Guess who else uses that as their first word in their message to people? Chapter four of Matthew, verse 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. After that, after Jesus dies, he resurrected, he gives the Holy Spirit to his disciples and they go out and Peter starts in Acts 2 telling the whole crowd about who Jesus is. They respond with, oh, okay, what do we do about this? And the very first thing that he says in that, in Acts 2, could you throw that up there for us, Patrick? They say, what do we do about this? And in verse 38, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. John's first word in his message, Jesus' first word in his message, the disciples' first word in their message, their first invitation is to repent. My son was telling me about this week how he was on uh, this comment thread in YouTube and how uh, these people were arguing about whether you need to repent or not. And this one person said, you don't need to repent because like, God, God isn't about your works. It's all grace. So it's not about what you do and what you don't do. God's grace is enough. And my son was like, that doesn't sound right, Dad. Is it? And it, I, listen, that's, that's social media commentary, right? But as I've been helping grade papers at a Christian college, a lot of that theology is there too. As I listen to podcasts from a lot of churches, a lot of that theology is there too. If Jesus' first words, if John's first words, his disciples' first words were to repent, I think they meant it. Are we missing something when we just cheapen that by saying it's all about God's grace alone? You don't have to do a thing. Now listen, I'm not going to switch it up on you guys and start preaching like a works-based salvation, okay? I'm not going to start telling you you have to perform in order to be accepted by God. That's also not the message. But that word repentance, that metanoia, what it means is not to become perfect and stop your sinning. What it means is change your worldview. Change your mindset. Change your will, and turn toward, turn toward the one who is inviting you into a better way. Are you going to fail at it at times? Yes. What does repentance actually look like? That was another question I had this week. Like, what, what, can you tell me like practically what it looks like? Because I'm not sure if I'm doing it right, right? Listen, it's the new year. How many of you guys have like New Year's resolutions that involve food and diet and exercise? Don't raise your hand. I know it's all of you. So we we get in that mode and we're like, okay, this is what I'm going to do, right? Now listen, if you have this mindset that you are going to start eating healthier and you keep filling your pantry with junk food, have you repented from that way of eating? No. If you have this mindset, I am going to change the way I'm eating and you throw that junk out you start stocking your pantry differently and you're making better choices, but you slip up sometimes and you grab a Snickers bar at the checkout. 
I would still call that repentance. Because what you've done is you have, done, you have attempted to change the rhythms of your life, right? To change the flow of your life. You've changed your mindset. You've changed your will. You've, you've said, I no longer want this to be my way of life. I want this to be my way of life. But you're going to be weak and you're going to fail at it at times. And that's God's grace to say, I know. My grace is sufficient for you. But keep turning away from that thing and keep turning toward me. Keep turning away from that. Keep looking to me because that's enough and it's better. Repentance isn't a fun word to talk about, right? It's not a fun topic to preach on. It's not a fun thing to sit here and listen to probably. But it's what God calls us to. And listen, here's the good news about repentance. Paul talks about this. Uh, It's our next verse up there, I think, Patrick. You can switch that up for me. Nope. It's the next one. We're skipping that one. (laughs) Keep going. Sorry about that. Romans, that's it. That's the one. Thank you. In Romans 2, Paul wrote this. He says, he's talking to a group of people who are judging other people because they don't look like they've repented, right? They don't look like they've done the right things. He's talking to a group of people who are trusting in their own actions. And this is what I want us to hear. Because I think with what I just said a moment ago, it can be confusing and you can hear that message of, oh man, I'm messing up too much. Maybe I'm not a Christian, right? So I want us to hear this. Paul's talking to a group of people who thought that way and judged other people who were messing up too much, who weren't living up to their expectations. And he says this, he says, you have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now, pause for a second. You may not do the exact same things, but the heart behind it, it's the same. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you'll escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of God's kindness, his forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Leave that up for a second. Catch that. Two two extremes where we can err here, okay, that I think Paul's getting at. So one is, one is these people who are judging others and saying like, you're not doing good enough. You're not doing good enough. And he's saying to them, listen, do you not understand that God's kindness on you was meant for you to repent? God's kindness on you was meant for you to turn away from your ways of thinking that you can earn this yourself. That's why John was so harsh when the Pharisees and Sadducees came down to the river. Right? He was welcoming all kinds of sinners and cleansing them. When these religious leaders who thought, we have this all put together, why aren't these people coming to the temple to be cleansed anymore? They were threatened. That's why they showed up. They come down, and John's very harsh with them. You need to turn away from your way of thinking that you can earn this in your actions and in your doing. And he tells them, you need to show fruit that keeps with repentance. It's ongoing. That was a verse I skipped in Luke, by the way that we need to die daily to our sins. Paul recognized that. Peter recognized that. All the disciples recognized that. Jesus used those words in Luke. 
that we need to die daily. It's a daily turning from this old way of life. So there's this recognition for, for them. Do you not recognize God's kindness to you was not for nothing? It's not just cheap grace. Doesn't matter what you do. I love you. You're good. No, no. His kindness is meant to produce something called repentance. And on the other hand, what he also wanted those people to hear when he says this is, listen, what God uses in order to bring you to repentance is not judgment, is not harshness, is not beating you up and saying, How can, why can't you ever get this right? It's his kindness. And we need to hear both those things. God desires to bring us to repentance. What method does he use to get us there? His kindness. And that's why it is so important when we talk about when we turn from something, it's not just turning from, that it's turning toward. Because if we just talk about, hey guys, we gotta do better at not messing up. And we're just trying really hard not to do certain things. We're gonna fail and it's gonna be miserable for us. But if we're constantly, listen, brothers, sisters, if we're constantly reminding one another to look to Jesus, if we're constantly reminding one another to turn toward the kingdom of God, to look to God in his ways, to look to his kindness on us, that we can love because he first loved us, then we have something to look forward to and we actually find the power there as we now are baptized in the Holy Spirit, we find the power there to actually continue in that repentance, to continue daily moving toward him. You're gonna mess up. Do you have a community of sisters and brothers around you who will keep calling you to look to Jesus in the midst of that? One more story of one of my sons. Not with wrestling, I promise. He had a moment where he was really uh, upset and angry and struggling with something and kind of freaking out a little bit. And I could hear it starting. And so I walked into his room and I put my hand on him and I asked him what was wrong. And he calmed down right away. And I said, I, I understand that what happened is not fun, but do you think you're maybe taking that out on other people right now? And he started to be like, no. And then he paused and he's like, yeah, I am. And I'm sorry. And he went and apologized to those people. Listen, that's a difference from even the last conversation I had with him, right? Then later in the week, he had another moment where he was kind of overreacting about something and, and getting super emotional. And he came later upset, like, dad, I don't know why I can't change. I don't know why I keep doing this stuff. I don't know why I keep getting so worked up and emotional. I can't, I'm not changing. And so I sat him down and I was like, listen, bud, you are. And I, I reminded him of that last conversation we had. You got there much quicker than you did the time before. And that's what that daily repentance starts to look like. Right? You're going to mess up again, but the quicker you come back to Jesus, looking to him, and then the next time you come to him a little sooner, and the next time a little sooner, and then maybe eventually in that area, in that one area of sin, it, you, you come to Jesus in the moment that you're tempted. 
because you have the power of the Holy Spirit to help you do so. And then you're gonna find another area that you struggle with, right? And it's a daily process of us learning more and more to look to Jesus and you are growing. Maybe some of you in here aren't though. And this is the invitation and the call for you. Like, have you really repented or have you just said, I said a prayer, that was enough. And that's not shame. It's not shame on you. That's been the system and the structure that we've been called into in our modern Western church. Just say a prayer, you're good to go. Live your life however you want to because God's grace is enough. So right now, what I wanna do is give you an invitation to assess your heart. Have I truly repented? And have I continued in that repentance daily? Do you want to repent? Do you want to turn away from an old way of life and trust in Jesus's way? Because that's the way of the kingdom. And it's the way of flourishing in life and eternity. And you are welcome there. Would you pray with me?